Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So the first thing, baptism. What is baptism all about? It's an outward sign of an inward change, and that's important that we see it that way because some will say, you know, you have to be baptized in order to be saved, and that's not accurate. Baptism is an outward sign of something that's happened inwardly. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That is how we're saved. But what does baptism mean? What does it represent? Well, the first thing, it's a command. So 1 John 5, 3 says to love him is to obey his commands. And even if that were the only reason that we understood about baptism, that already, for those who have called upon the Lord for salvation, would be enough for us to follow him into the waters of baptism. That would be enough, right? If he says to love him is to obey him, we want to live a life of worship, so to follow him in what he says, even without further understanding, that would be enough. But if we look at uh, Acts 2.38, we read, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see that command given. It is a command given to all of those who call upon the Lord for salvation that we get baptized. But it goes beyond that, because even the Great Commission, if we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we've spent a lot of time on this over the last year, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, help me out with that next word there, baptizing them. So baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we can see from Scripture that baptism is a clear command for all of those who want to follow Jesus. So the first thing we're commanded to do after turning to God is be baptized, and then the Great Commission, what we're called to do as believers, is to go and make disciples, baptizing them as well. So you can see baptism is an ordinance. It's more than just an ordinance. It's very close and near to God's heart, and he's called us to do it as well. So here's that 1 John 5, verse 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I've often wrestled with that verse, and his commandments are not burdensome. And usually when you, when you spend time on why it's a wrestling match, you're going to find that we have our own sets of rules and obligations in here. When you come to him, you'll find his burden is light and his yoke is easy. But that's for a different message. We don't have time for that. Baptism demonstrates our love for God through following him in obedience. So that's the point number one, what baptism is all about. But the second one is, it's a celebration. And, and I hope this isn't lost on you because we're going to clap here after each person gets baptized um, and we're going to celebrate. And many of you will have baptism parties after and that is 100% appropriate. What a thing to celebrate. We celebrate football games. We celebrate even when our, our teams lose. We celebrate all sorts of things in life and we should definitely celebrate baptism. Baptism is like an adoption party. And what I love about an adoption party, and this is why it, it'll help you kind of see it in the right framework. Now, when you have an adoption party, it's not that, that the, the legal requirement for adoption is done at the adoption party. That's done beforehand. The adoption party is the celebration of what's already taken place. In the same way, baptism is like that for the believer. Baptism is that celebration. You've already been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is that public celebration where you are identifying with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are being buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. So it is an adoption party. We should celebrate it, and we will celebrate it. And it's a wonderful thing. So there's no more John Doe. Whatever your last name is, when you come out of those waters, you have taken on a new name. It's public. You were saying, I was adopted, I'm in a new family, I'm a Christian. 
No longer John Doe. I'm John Christian. I'm part of an eternal family. An interesting thing to think about with that eternal family, our blood family here lasts for a temporal period of time. You're born and then you die. The family of Christ is actually eternal. Once you join that family, once you are adopted in, that family will go on for all eternity. And that is a wonderful thing to celebrate. So, but there's more to it than that. Baptism also signifies our voluntary death and rebirth into new life. And the voluntary part is key on that. It's voluntary. We get to choose to climb up on the cross with Jesus. We get to choose to identify with his death and resurrection and the new life that he now lives in the heavenlies. So we're doing that. If you look at Romans 6, 3 to 4, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too may walk in newness of life. And you'll hear something very similar to that as each candidate is being baptized. You'll hear a similar set of words being spoken with them, right? Buried, in Christ, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. And that's a beautiful thing. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, by, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why do we obey? Why do we follow him in that, into the waters of baptism? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. Who else has ever loved you enough to lay down their life for you? Who else has ever been willing to completely forgive you when all you did was ask? But there's a fourth one. Baptism opens the door for fellowship with Jesus. Now you can have fellowship beforehand. I'm not saying it's the only way. But baptism opens the door maybe for further fellowship is a better way to put it. Now what am I basing that on? Well, Acts, Peter had said, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we know though that from Romans that, that, that baptism or that the Holy Spirit is already given as a guarantor to all who call upon the name of Jesus. So you have the Holy Spirit in you apart from being baptized in the water. You do. If you're a believer in Christ, you have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So what am I getting at here? Well, we receive the fullness of the Spirit fellowship with him anytime we walk in obedience and keep in step with God's Spirit or his, or his Son. Look at what James 4 verse 7 to 8 says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So submit yourself, surrender, obey, put yourself underneath, resist the devil and he will flee, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a wonderful promise. In John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, we see that obedience as we're, the very first thing we're commanded to do is to Repent and be baptized. Walk into the waters of baptism, identifying ourselves with our Lord and Savior. But that, that act of obedience actually opens up a whole relationship possibility to us that may not have already been there. So as each of the 51 people step into the waters of baptism this weekend, this today, this morning, they are demonstrating that they love God through their obedience. They're publicly declaring that they belong to Jesus, that they've taken on a new name. 
They're demonstrating how they have died with Christ. And of course, that has to be walked out. But they're demonstrating that they're going to die with Christ. They're identifying with that death so they can be raised with him to walk in newness of life. So they're putting down, they're voluntarily, that's what they're saying to all of us, I'm going to voluntarily put down my flesh, my sinful desires, yes, but even my dreams. My life now becomes his. I have died with Christ so that I can live with him. So that's the first point. Outward sign of an inward change. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. But where I want to focus the rest of this message is actually on the next part, and that is don't stay dead, walk in new life, and forgive the bad English. But I wanted it to stick out, and I have limited space on PowerPoint. Right? Don't stay dead, walk in new life. There's too many Christians that forget about the second part, the walking in new life, and I've been there. I mean, it's one thing to die. Maybe you haven't even crucified your flesh yet. Maybe you're just walking in death because you've received Jesus, but you're not actually walking with him. You're still struggling in all those same areas. Don't stay dead. Walk in new life. We have a very real enemy. Scripture teaches us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And uh, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And by the way, I had such a hard time this morning even as I was wrestling there. You're pulling out verses. 1 Peter 5, just read the whole thing. It is so beautiful. There is so much gold and richness and treasure within there. I found the same with John 14. In fact, I ended up putting a chunk of it at the end. You'll see. But... Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He's looking for weaknesses. If he can't keep you from believing in Jesus altogether, he's going to try to keep you from walking in the new life that Jesus has promised you. Because, in, you know, on one hand, he wins ultimately if he can keep you from knowing Jesus at all, but he actually can also win if he keeps you from walking in the power and life that Jesus has to offer you. Because he can ruin your testimony and rob you of your inheritance in this life. So there's lots of strategies we're, we, we could look at on how he does this. We covered a lot of them last year in Tactics of the Enemy, a lot of the soil and the bitterness and that kind of stuff. But I want to look at two things this morning uh, that are key. And, and a lot of this, if you're here and you're getting baptized, this is to you, but it's also to the rest of us. Because the enemy doesn't want you to walk in new life. So he's going to seek to distract you. That is one of his number one tactics, distract. And he's doing a great job of it in the world today. And I'm not saying he's doing a great job with you guys, standing from a place of, it's not working on me. My family would know and my friends here that I, am, I get distracted easily. Well, you all know that. I get distracted even by shiny things or things that happen on stage. But uh, <laughs> I am very easily distracted. I'll admit that. But he seeks to distract you. He wants to cause you to lose focus or focus on the wrong things. Either one will do. Right? If you, if you don't focus on Jesus, that's one thing. Or he gets you to focus on, on something else or he promises something that he can't deliver. But distraction is a major problem in the world today. I mean, you think about, I've talked to how many believers that cannot find the time to get into the Word daily. 
They can't. And for various reasons, by the way, I understand, well, it's boring, or I don't understand it, or I don't, I don't get anything out of it. And, and I get that, but we can work with that. There, there is a way to learn how to read the scripture in a way that's life-giving. But you can talk to the same believers, and I wish I had my phone up here to kind of show, but you have those, those time reports. Has anyone else looked at their time reports ever? Yeah, there's a couple. I don't like looking at them. It's not an encouraging message. I spent how much time? How did I even find that much time in the day? Anyways, we don't have time for the word. We don't have time for prayer. We don't have time to commune with the, with the Lord of the universe, and yet we can find all sorts of time for a device. And I'm not saying that a device is bad. I use them. Our world operates on them. Our jobs require them. I totally get that. Not even everything we do in them is sinful. I'm just talking about distraction. Spotify, podcasts, online shopping, spending, phones, media, busyness. We got lots in this world that's tugging at us. Jay Walker Smith reported that we went from 500 ads a day, which I thought was shocking, but he has research to support it, in 1970. That's what he averaged. Most North Americans were being exposed to 500 ads a day, which I still can't comprehend, so I'm just reading it. You can go look at the link. It's on the online notes. Today, over 5,000 is the average of online ads that we're exposed to on a daily basis. Wrap your mind around that. I mean, all of the free apps you use, you have to look at an ad before you get on. There's ads everywhere trying to sell you something, trying to sell you usually one thing, life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. He's the new life that you need. And you go around, just turn on your TV or go onto the internet, and you will find there are an endless number of counterfeits promising you life. And not even all bad things. And I'm not saying we just exit the world completely. You're part of this world. We have to live in this life. But that's important, you know. If the enemy can distract us or keep us busy, he can keep us from the most important thing. And so, well, look, I mean, we've talked about this many times. It's a very common passage that people look at. But Luke 10, the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes over there and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's listening. She's taking it in. She's, she's experiencing life. And Martha's busy, and busy's not bad. I, I'm often busy. We're often busy. That's not bad. Where it, where it gets bad is when busy, now you're too busy to do the things that God is asking you to do. You're too busy to calm down. You're too busy for your family. You're too busy for your walk with Jesus. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, and Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Isn't that often how we feel? Do you not care? That's why I'm busy, because I have to be busy. I can't stop. As though the whole world would fall apart if we stopped being busy for a couple of moments. And maybe that would happen. That would maybe be you know, pointing towards more of a systemic problem in your life. But tell her to help me. And the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. All right. When we forget, or, or sorry, when our focus gets out of control, that often leads to anxiety. And anxiety, unfortunately, today is the Lord of too many people's lives. And that is not, by the way, meant to hurt or shame or condemn anybody in here. I know all about anxiety. I had years of you know, it, it was kind of a love-hate relationship. Anxiety was almost like my closest friend with me wherever I went. 
And I still get anxious here and there. And I, I know how to deal with my anxiety, though. But that's what happens. When our focus gets out of control, that's what anxiety is. It is out of control focus. You're focusing on what ifs. You're focusing on this could happen or that could happen. And we need to change our focus. And look at the invitation we get from the Lord. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Casting all... No, that's not the one. There. Casting all your anxieties on him because he what? Cares for you. That's his desire. Cast, cast your anxieties on him. You're anxious? Cast them on him. But to cast your anxieties on him, you have to go to him. At some point, all those things that are keeping that anxious wheel going, you need to get that to stop so you can actually go to him and cast those anxieties on him. Now we'll go to Colossians. My clicker's not working. Set your minds on things that are above. There it is. Oh, <laughs> I do my own, so it's all my fault. Um, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. You noticing that theme? Buried with Christ, the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. There's a theme going on. And we're, and we're being told here, set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. That's part of how we get that life that's hidden in Christ. And I love that word, hidden. It's hidden because not everyone finds it. There is a, there's an aspect of discipline that's required in your life to find that life. But there's discipline required in everything we do, even in doing nothing. And there's consequences to that, right? So, distract us and deceive us. The enemy, and we've talked lots about this over the last, even since September, but he really wants to. Jesus has lots of warnings, even in the Olivet Discourse. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples, and you've got to think, they, these are the faithful followers. These are his close disciples. And, and they're coming to him saying, Lord, when... When will these things be, like his, his coming? When will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Like, how are we going to know what's going to happen in the end times? And how do we know when you're coming back? And even to his closest friends, the very first thing he says is, do not be deceived. He doesn't want them to be deceived. The enemy will try to deceive. The world will try to deceive. And he repeats that sentiment four or five times in different ways, even in just that one passage. And that is not the only place in Scripture where it talks about deception. We are constantly warned about deception. Right from the beginning in, in the garden, that's what the devil was doing with Adam and Eve, was deceiving them, tempting them through deception. Did God really say? Sometimes it's an outright lie. Other times it's a distortion of truth, which is still the same thing. It ends up in deceiving us. So he's going to tempt you to do things like find your life in something else. He'll try to deceive you on where life is found. I mean, that, you hear it. This is boring. It's, I, I don't get anything out of this. So you go on your phone. You go on social media. You just scroll. You just scroll. Get that dopamine hit. As though the dopamine hit is the only thing Jesus meant by your life hidden in Christ. But we go to sex, money, social media, approval, phones, food, anything. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, I love this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And this next part I love, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, 
broken sisters, cisterns that hold no water. That is exactly what we see happening in the culture. That's probably exactly what each one of us has experienced to some way, shape, or form. So the enemy also seeks to trap us in lies. Lies such as worthlessness and condemnation, that you're unlovable, useless. You'll never amount to anything. He wants to keep you stuck, trapped, alone, unable to move forward. You combine these together, this false promise of life. Right, he's still saying the same thing. Did God really say that your life is hidden in Christ, that you have to find it there? Or can you not find it with just tasting and seeing some of the good things in this world? You combine that with some of our lies that we believe from our past experiences, things like worthlessness, because maybe we were rejected when we were younger in school. Maybe we're, we were abused and we feel so broken beyond repair that we feel like God could never use someone like us. And you have a very deadly you know, combination for removing the life of a believer and effectively keeping them from the purpose for which God created them. This world is full of distractions, discouragement, deception, and the enemy will do anything and everything to keep you from remembering Jesus. That goes on to our next point. Remember Jesus, walk in the new life with Jesus. And remember Jesus, that line comes from 2 Timothy. I'll, I'll read it to you at the end. Uh, but for now, we're just going to talk about what that looks like. My question, though, is, are you walking in new life with Jesus? Be honest with yourself. You don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but just be honest with yourself. I think it was Pastor Chris somewhere. I don't know if he took it from somewhere who said it, but the real Jesus doesn't want to heal the fake you. We, we often don't bring the real us to Jesus, right? We try to lie. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm walking in that. I, I believe I'm walking in that. But yet we medicate on everything that we can other than Scripture or other than prayer. Maybe you feel stuck, trapped in anxiety. Maybe you feel unlovable or unforgivable. I felt that for years. That's actually what kept me from giving my life to Christ. I thought I'd done the unforgivable sin that God would never accept me. I wanted that for my son who was born. I wanted it for my wife. But I thought the Lord would never take me back. I knew better. I was raised in the way and walked away. Many of you know my story. I don't have time for that right now. So... We're left with a question, though. Will we focus on the culture and what the culture promises for how to find life? Will you focus on those inner voices? Or will you remember Jesus? So I want to celebrate the goodness of God. And one of the ways that we remember him is by sharing the stories of God. And we're told that right from the beginning of Scripture on. Remember. Remembering Jesus is an ancient practice. Remember Jesus, but we're going to start with some stories, and the first one is of John Berrigan, and uh, him and Lorraine are church renewal ambassadors. They've been instrumental in Canada and beyond, but helping Pastor Ray and Fran um, get church renewal going, and they still are. But here's a story, and I want you to see the different elements you can get. We're going to put it on the, on the video. By the way, it was videoed out of mentoring, so it was, a, it was from his house, recorded on Zoom, transferred to Vimeo, and now taken as a screenshot. So if the quality's a little bit uh, bad, forgive the quality, okay? It's not about the quality, it's about the, qu the quality of the testimony itself. Uh, but yeah, 
Take a listen to, to their story. As you all know, we were in a car wreck years ago, changed our lives, and Barnes had his challenges. And uh, some years ago, when we were trying to, to find help for Barnes and his, his fitness, we were going to this gym, and this old guy came up to Lorraine and said to her, let me step in and do it. You go have a coffee. And he was an 80-year-old ex-Marine who was a fitness freak. And so, so for 10 years, he did that with Byron. Then he retired at age 90. And on that occasion, we took him for coffee, Byron, Byron and I. And, uh, and then Byron asked, he didn't want to ask Jesus into life. He said, no, it was not his thing. And Byron shed a few tears. Make, then we fast forward to now, where things are now. And he got a call from, Lorraine got a call from his wife some weeks back that he was in a hospital, uh, now starting with, with Parkinson's and had broken a hip. And he was scared out of his mind about death. We went, uh, he was petrified about death. And Lorraine said to him, as we were coming here, uh, Roland, we prayed all the way, what could we give you for a gift? And then Lorraine said, Jesus said to me, G -g give him Jesus. So then we moved from there, we'll then begin talking about Jesus. And then finally said, Roland, would you like to pray with me? Explain what that would look like. And he said, I, I, I would. So he, he prayed a prayer, we then said to him, now, if you're afraid as if the light goes on, just to say, Jesus, Jesus. We finished this and all of a sudden a voice comes from behind the curtain in the next room. I just prayed this prayer with you. So we go around the curtain. Here's a 71 year lady who just finished having major back surgery and said, I just prayed that prayer with you. And then she says to Lorraine, it's like flowers are growing out of my chest. I feel so safe and so good right now. We go back a week later, we, we give her a Bible. Her name is Donna. We pray with both of them. And then, it's, and, and you can see Roland is now feeling very, very secure. It, it's amazing, really quite amazing to watch that at peace. We then go back this past Saturday. He's extremely at peace. And here's why it, it's so rich for this time right now in the world. And he says, I am getting dreams at night now, which are so wonderful. Speaking quite slowly, he said, I feel that I'm getting tangled up in, in the sheets in my bed and I can't move and I'm so, so trapped. And then Jesus comes to me by my bed. And then behind it comes a person in white who unwraps my sheets, loves on me, and I'm so secure in, in Jesus as he then leaves. And we sat there now and said, man, this Marine, he, he didn't know it got from a hole in the ground. Not his bed, there comes Jesus when he's very, he can't face it. And then Jesus brings an angel with him to love and care on him. It was a bit like a Muslim story of Jesus coming to, to share himself in such a, a dramatic way. It, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Wanted to just share that with you to encourage you all on in your journey with Jesus. Is that not incredible? Many of you don't know who John and Lorraine are, so you know Byron is their son. They were in a car accident many years ago and he was permanently disabled, so that's pretty incredible how that worked out. But there was a few things in that story that I want to highlight. One of them was the fact that they were answering the call to the Great Commission. I mean, they were going out and doing it. But then two, what were they doing? They were praying for the people they were trying to minister to and listening to what the Holy Spirit had to say for what they were supposed to do. Give him Jesus. So you see those elements showing up, but you see the Holy Spirit speaking, not just in the dream. That was, that was obviously there. He was speaking in the dreams. But he was also speaking to those who came to minister to those unbelievers. And don't you just love it that two people gave their life to Christ in that hospital room? I thought that was pretty amazing to hear a voice. I just prayed that prayer. 
That's incredible. Uh, I got a couple more stories that I want to share with you because I think it's important for us to share these stories. They stir our faith. To remember that Jesus is still alive today. He's still saving people. He's still speaking to those whom he wishes to draw near to and, and, and rescue. Um, these are all from this past uh, weekend at the Set Free that I'm going to read you. So the first one here is a believer whose heart was ignited for the word and also who experienced a move of the Holy Spirit that they didn't think was possible. So this is, uh, uh, and I have been given permission, by the way, if you're wondering, every story I shared, is it going to come up here? No. They were all asked, uh, but I won't say names. And this woman here, um, th- this is what she shared. She cannot get enough time Oh, sorry, she cannot get enough in her times with Jesus in Scripture right now. God is just continuing to pour through, through the Scriptures. She also confessed that she did the set free to become a member. She actually didn't even believe that the set free was necessary. She just did it be, to become a member. It was one of the membership steps here, so I'll go through and do it. And at this point here, um, she had said to, to Pastor Martin, this is always reported to Martin and then also some to Chris, but she had said, you know, she's had been a part of the charismatic churches before and had always thought, you know, the Holy Spirit moves through things like tongues and the gifts and that's it. But she was surprised, pleasantly surprised, to see that the Holy Spirit moved in power through the simplicity of just believers getting together and confessing their sins. And from there, it lit her heart on fire for the Lord and for Scripture. And she, she said she has a God appointment with, with, uh, with the Lord every day now. Her heart has changed every since so far. And she thought the Holy Spirit, yeah. So she testified. So she's experiencing Acts 2. Sorry, I skipped my spot in here. The next one. So that's one. Ignited for the Word. Experienced in the move of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. Is it not? You want your heart lit on, on fire for the Word? And to spend time with Jesus? See, even that isn't just an act in and of ourselves. We take small steps towards him, and then we get to experience that Holy Spirit moving inside of us. The next one is of freedom, purpose, and forgiveness. So, I thought I'd share. I'll just read this one verbatim so I don't get lost. Thought I'd share some testimonies for myself for the set free. Saturday morning, I felt so ridiculously sick. During the first session, in peer-to-peer, I felt so awful I couldn't even hold my head up. So I don't have a clue what you talked about. She's saying this to Pastor Chris. (laughs) I don't have a clue what you talked about during the session. When we finally got into our triads, I immediately confessed everything on my heart. I instantly felt all the pain and sickness lift off my body and was left with just the wonderful feeling of freedom and wholeness. This would be when I practically skipped over to you with my newfound purity ring. But I finally believed and felt worthy. Not because I had earned it, but because God said I was. The next session during the cross, I heard a woman weeping behind me and I felt a stirring in my spirit and I went over. I got to listen to her story and pray with her and truthfully, I was absolutely beaming the entire time because I was so thrilled to be used by God, thrilled to be a worthy vessel for the Lord. So set free was absolutely fantastic. I got to experience freedom that I've spent the last year praying for and I got to be used by God. Is there anyone else that wants to experience something like that? Is that not amazing? This is the God, and what did she do? This is the God we serve, confessed sins. One more, from condemnation to free in Christ. Sorry, I just gotta watch my time. Good morning. I wanted to share with you that I always had the struggle to forgive myself, and even though I always said yes to forgiving myself, it was a lie every time. Is there anyone in here that's, don't, this is rhetorical. Has, has anyone in here struggled with forgiving themselves or receiving forgiveness from God? 
I know there's going to be a bunch because I know just by the stats alone, there's going to be a bunch of people that struggle with addiction right here. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, food, or things like internet pornography or whatever it is. And I know the condemnation that brings because I've been there. It's one thing to receive his forgiveness the first time. But when you're a repeat offender, that's what, now I'll carry on, right? Because, <laughs> by the way, I just love, I get so much joy out of following the Lord. It's great. Ah. And this last set free, November 17th to 18th, that's last weekend, I experienced true forgiveness towards myself. The question isn't there anymore, but we still did ask it in our group if we forgave ourselves, and I was quiet for a bit, and just trying to, and then I saw a picture. I was remembering the story of Paul, so a picture helped her, the Holy Spirit gave her a picture. I remember the story of Paul and Silas, they were chained to the wall, an earthquake came, earthquake came and their chains fell off, and they were set free. And I was picturing myself being chained to the wall, the wall being my sin, and an earthquake, Jesus, came and my chains fell off and I was free. I experienced true forgiveness towards myself, and I've been filled with joy. Praise the Lord, for he is good. Is that not amazing? 51 baptisms this weekend. Each one has a testimony. We don't even have time to go through all of them. There's too many. You'll see little snippets on a video. We'll be posting a bunch of them online. If you want to watch for, on, you know, on social media the next couple weeks, we'll be posting a lot of the... Uh, written stories there. I encourage you to read them. Read the stories. Be encouraged. Remember Jesus. And then go and meet with him for yourself. And this challenge I give to the believer in here and also to the unbeliever. Don't stay dead. If you're an unbeliever, you are dead in your sin. Don't stay dead. You're being offered life. And to the believer who's not walking in it, don't stay dead. He offers you life. But you have to come to receive it. The best defense is a good offense. <laughs> now I'll skip through this. John 14, 15 to 27. And I'm going to encourage you to read that mostly on your own. I want you to go through all of John 14 and 15. You don't have to, but if you want to, you want to meet with Jesus and start experiencing new life, go read John 14 and 15 and start writing down what are the implications of what's all written in here. There is a lot of pretty fantastic promises that are made in those two passages. But here it's clear again, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, the spirit of truth. Then he goes on, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You're getting the common theme. Obedience and love being put together. So what does this passage and those stories have in common that we just looked at? I mean, what were the stories that we looked at? We looked at, uh, here we go. There was a step out and share your faith story, listening to God for guidance, repenting of sin, opening your heart to Jesus, confessing with another believer. What do all these stories and this passage have in common? The passage promises, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Each one of these is an example of loving God through obedience. Repenting from sin, answering the call to the Great Commission, listening for guidance, opening your heart to Jesus instead of hardening it, confessing your sins to one another. All of these stories have one common theme, and that is each one of those people involved loved God through taking steps of obedience. Many of them were just small little steps too. 
And they got to experience exactly what Jesus promises here, that, they would, that he would manifest himself to them. They experienced newness of life. All right. All acts of loving God through obedience. So I'm going to stop right there. In just a moment here, I'm going to give you four things here. This is how you can walk it out. If you want to take a picture of it, you can. First, engage your heart with Scripture. If you're here getting baptized, this is how you walk out your, your, your new life that Jesus is promising you. Engage your heart with Scripture. Engage your heart. Don't just read it. Engage your heart. You know how you engage your heart? You read it, and then you ask yourself and God this question. If this is true, what should I do as a result? So you read Scripture, you meditate on it, and then you obey it. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Learn to hear God's voice and then receive inner healing. You need to learn how to walk by the Spirit, just like all of those testimonies did. Practice gratitude. I would encourage you to make it a daily practice. This I've been trying to do myself because I have been heavily distracted this last month. So I've been forcing myself here, and sometimes it's very hard to connect. And then lastly, Godly community. If you're trying to do this alone, you will fall. You need like-minded people that will push you towards Jesus. I'm going to call the baptism candidates to come up. So as Chris, he's going to come up as well. And so as they're getting ready here, I'm just going to read this passage. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal, by the word of God, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with glory. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself.